0: You're listening to a Koori Mail podcast.
1: Deadly. The Black Room.
2: In The Black Room, we bring together our editors, journalists and staff every fortnight to pick apart the stories you'll find in the current edition of the Koori Mail newspaper. Gingy voila. Welcome to the very first Black Room Podcast. I am your host, Nick Payton. I'm a Ngunnawal man and a journalist here at the Mail newspaper. Coming up on today's show, we will be yarning about edition 756, which has just been published on Wednesday, July 28, 2021. We will be yarning with Rudy Maxwell, our editor here at the Mail newspaper. We'll also be hearing from Darren Coyne, our senior journalist. We'll be having a yarn with Kirk Page, who is our amazing storyteller and writer here at the Mail, And we'll also be hearing from Darren Moncrief, our sports editor. But first...
3: We acknowledge Bundjalung country and the Wigilwaibu land upon which our offices sit. We acknowledge and pay our respects to our ancestors and elders, past and present.
0: The Koori Mail.
3: Knowledge. Culture. Country. Connection.
2: Our very first guest to join us in the Black Room is the editor of the Koori Mail newspaper, Rudy Maxwell. Rudy has been working with the organisation for more than 10 years, and seven of those years she has been sitting in the chair as editor Rudy Maxwell, welcome to The Black Room.
1: Thanks for having me, Nick.
2: This is very exciting. We have just um, opened our brand new podcast recording studio here at the Koori Mail. It's been a long time coming, Rudy. We've been planning for this for many months now.
1: Yeah, I just think it is so exciting. And um, I've been kidding Naomi Moore and our amazing general manager that, She's got this plan for world domination and this is the first step. (laughs) I (laughs) I think it's really great. The more people that we can interact with and that want to interact with us, the better we're serving our audience. And I just think it's so exciting. And to be honest, I know very little about this sort of landscape, but it's really exciting that you have taken the reins and that we're getting it on board. It's just great.
2: Now, Rudy, I've got the paper in front of me, and I can see here on the front page, you have got a beautiful photo of Paddy Mills.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This is one of those, I guess, unifying images. And um, Paddy Mills became the first Indigenous Australian to be selected as an Olympic flag bearer.
2: Wow, that's and massive.
1: It's massive. And it's lovely because he has, I think this is his fourth Olympics. And um, he identifies as both Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander. And he's an absolute champion. He's got his own foundation where he gives back to community and clearly a very strong basketball player in his own right.
2: I watched it. It was very late. Now, I've got to say, I was with my mum that night and I had my mum staying over and we waited till the opening ceremony came through. And look, it was very... I don't want to say sad, but, um, you know, seeing the empty stadium and the way everything still, you know, with the opening ceremony unfolded, um, you know, it was late. I waited, I saw our brother there, Paddy Mills, holding the flag. I would love to have seen the Aboriginal flag alongside that Australian flag. When do you think we're going to get to the stage where, you know, we've got Indigenous representation in the form of a flag at the Olympics?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. So there was some chatter beforehand that Paddy, because when it was announced that he would be a um, flag bearer, that he might take both the Aboriginal and the Torres Strait Islander flags in with him as well in some form. Now, clearly he did not do that. But as you say, it would be great to recognise the three official flags of Australia. And yeah, Paddy is clearly a perfect representation of that.
2: You're right, Rudy, because I, I guess a lot of the time when we think about the Aboriginal flag, we just do think about the red, the black and the yellow flag. We don't always take into account that there's actually a separate flag for Torres Strait Islander people as well.
1: Y- yeah, that's right. That's one of the things, um, the other f- pick we have on the front page, which is a pick of the Australian women's soccer team, the Matildas, posing behind the Aboriginal flag. One of the things I that's kind of... I love the Olympics in some ways, but um, one of the things that's kind of gotten on my nerves is they keep referring it to the Aboriginal flag as the Indigenous flag, right? which, as you say, makes no sense because there is an Aboriginal flag and a Torres Strait Islander flag, which was designed by Bernard Namak, I believe. You're right. Yep. 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 So, yeah. And um, Paddy is always very respectful of both of his cultures um, and always mentions that he is Torres Strait Islander and Aboriginal.
2: Now, we know that the Aboriginal flag and the, the Torres Strait Islander flag, I, I guess, have both been born out of protests. Um, and we can see um, that there's been a Black Lives Matter protest uh, that's mentioned in this edition. Uh, that's out at the Parkley Prison in New South Wales. What's happening there?
1: Yeah, so Parklea Prison is one of the privately operated prisons in New South Wales and as we understand it, and our reporter Darren Coyne spoke with relatives of inmates in Parklea who believe that this protest was born from unfair conditions inside the prison. So um, they were protesting against the way they're being treated, the way they're being fed, and there have been some reports that they were having medication withheld. So um, a couple of weeks ago now, they managed to get up on the roof of the privately run facility and spell out BLM for Black Lives Matter on the roof with clothing and sheets. Um, The... New South Wales Corrections and the privately run prison have characterised this as a riot. I don't think that is a fair characterisation. I think a protest.
2: Now they've actually referred to it as a drug fueled riot. Yeah, and is it, that correct?
1: Well, uh, that depends on the way that you define drugs, doesn't it? We like you know that word really, I guess, has the connotations of. Illegal drugs.
2: Or a drug user. That's someone right. Someone that smokes marijuana yeah. or, or takes, you know, ecstasy, things like that.
1: Yeah, but we understand that what they're talking about is prescribed medication, which also definitionally can be described as drugs. So it's very much that use of language that is used to imply one angle of a story when our understanding of it is that medically pre- prescribed, um, medication was being denied to certain inmates by the privately run prison.
2: So if they're not getting the medication they need, would they, would that not be a reason why they're rebelling? And
1: yeah, that's exactly right. And it becomes a human rights issue Mm. and prisoners still have human rights. They might've had some of their civil liberties taken away, being locked up and There's an argument to be made that they have forfeited those when they've committed a criminal act. But nonetheless, there are all sorts of conventions and rules regarding how prisoners are treated and access to vital medication is one of those. So it is our understanding from talking to relatives of the men who protested that this was the main reason that they were protesting.
2: I think when you look at this situation, is these uh, correctional centres the right way to go for Aboriginal people? We know that there are successful programs out there that are run by Aboriginal people, that take into account culture, that take into account what Aboriginal people need. Um, you know. When is it going to come the time where we actually go down that path and, you know, really appreciate that these programs are out there that can help people?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the... End Endgame should be diverting people out of the criminal justice system in the first place and not getting them in prisons. But I would also argue that if you are going to lock people up, that then the state should not be outsourcing that duty of care to privately run prisons, which I think is the single most immoral way to make money outside of arms manufacturers. And as one of the fathers of a young man who was in Parklea, who wasn't involved in the protest, but as one of the fathers said, these prisons are profiteering off Aboriginal people's misery and it is time for this outdated mode of making money to stop.
2: And it's all built on Aboriginal land.
1: And it's all built on Aboriginal land, as is everything in Australia except those things in the Torres Strait.
2: Rudy, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for stepping into the Black Room today. We will see you in a fortnight.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: The Koori Mail newspaper is 100% Aboriginal owned and all of our profits go back to our communities. Situated on the beautiful, Widgeable Wireble lands, the Koori Mail newspaper is owned by five Aboriginal community organisations from the Northern Rivers region. If
2: anything in this podcast raises any issues for you, please contact the National Indigenous Critical Response Service on 1800 805 801 or Lifeline Australia on 13 11 14. The Black Room. That's right, you mob. If anything in this podcast raises issues for you please contact those help numbers we just mentioned. Now, I'd like to introduce you to our next guest, Darren Coyne, who is a senior journalist here at the Courier-Mail newspaper. Darren Coyne, welcome to The Black Room. Uh, boogle bear, Nick. Great to be here. So, Darren, we've been talking to Rudy about some of the serious issues that you have written about in this edition. We've got another Black Death in Custody and a Black Lives Matter protest out at Parkley Prison in New South Wales. What's going on? Well, these fellows were quite aware that
4: um, just in the previous week, there'd been another death in custody. Now, that that news gets through the prison system. They're not happy.
2: So since March, that's another death in custody. What are we up to since March? Uh, That's nine. And so how many deaths in total since the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody? We believe it's around the 450 mark. Right. And so we know that the, uh, the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody, that final report came out, was that 1991? That's right. 30 1991 years ago,
4: 30 they, years ago. And there's still recommendations from that commission, which are still outstanding.
2: It seems, Darren, you know, since the Curry Mail have been reporting on Aboriginal deaths in custody, it seems to be in our paper every edition. We're reporting on yet another Aboriginal death in custody. Mate,
4: I'm, I, I've been a reporter here, as you know, for quite a long time, over 10 years, and it seems almost every fortnight when we're approaching our deadline that we've, we've got another death in custody to report, often more. Now, that is happening on such a regular basis that it hurts my heart, man.
2: Darren, we are going to move now from that devastating news onto uh, something that might be a little bit positive for the local widgeable Weibel mob up here who have been fighting to have their land back for many, many years. And we're not just talking about the land that they already own as Aboriginal people, but a specific part, a very special part of land of country up here in Lismore in the Northern Rivers. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
4: Certainly, Nick. Uh, there's a, a place on the outskirts of Lismore known locally as the North Lismore Plateau. Um, to Aboriginal people in the area, it's known as Bunyan Begum, and that means the Sleeping Lizard. Now, a section of that... Lo- there's, there's actually quite a few sections to the land. The council had one section, which it has decided to give back to the traditional owners. There's two. There's still two other sections, which uh, there's proposals to develop those. But um, but no, Uncle Mickey Ryan, who's the um, Bundjalung elder, who's been fighting for that land for many years, uh, he was in tears. He was so happy. Lovely.
2: I remember one of the first jobs that you took me on under your wing when I first started here as a cadet journalist at the Courier newspaper. You took me up there. That's right. To that country where there was mm. a protest that day. There
4: was a protest. They were about to start work on a housing
2: development. Um,
4: for I think that one was for 450 houses. Uncle Mickey took that development to court. He won the case. And now we're actually waiting on another decision from the court about that parcel of land, about whether or not the developers have to fully rehabilitate it.
2: Because I've driven past that site a number of times and you can see up on the escarpment is the North Lismore Plateau, Mm. which is the very sacred land there for the local mob there. But they'd actually already started to scrape back country and really dig into the land. and It almost looked as though they'd already mapped out the streets and the plots for the new homes. They had. That
4: that whole development had been approved by... um, by the um, Joint Regional Planning Committee. And is
2: that still due to go ahead?
4: No, that one is uh, That's waiting on uh, a, a rehabilit- uh, whether or not a rehabilitation order will be issued by the court, and that judgment is pending.
2: Darren, thanks so much for joining us today in the Black Room. It's been a pleasure, Nick.
0: Keep our mobs safe. COVID-19 can spread quickly. The COVID-19 vaccines can help protect MOB, including our elders, family and friends, from getting really sick from the virus. Book your COVID-19 vaccination appointment today at your local GP.
1: The Black Moon.
2: Welcome back to The Black Room. I'm Nick Payton. Next up, we have Mullen Jolly man, Kirk Page, who is a writer and storyteller here at the Koorimao newspaper. Kirk, welcome to The Black Room. Boogle Bear, thanks for having me. It's exciting to be here. So, Kirk, we've been yarning a lot during this podcast about protest, and we know the roots of NADOC week is born out of protest. Even though things were postponed things were cancelled did you find you know in your circles that you know it was much bigger this year than other years
0: well i did notice that there was lots you know online and in the media i n- i know that there was lots of celebrations and of course you know our celebrations were have been postponed our our celebrations that we were holding here in lismore uh, as part of the kurimale 30 year celebrations you know what I did note? I loved, I think I was watching something on uh, Channel 10, the project, and that as they were interviewing and speaking with people from across the country, that they had uh, the subtitle of the country.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah. And yeah. they're still doing it, you know. Wow. That reminds me of Australia Post have just started to, you can name the country that you're sending your your post to and it will arrive there. So, uh, Ngunnawal country in Canberra, you can now put instead of Canberra, Ngunnawal country and Australia Post will know that you're talking about Canberra.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic. And it, I think that's part of the bigger sort of acknowledgement and celebration that we do start to put that in our vernacular, put that in the minds of the people that don't know and start to share that because I think that's a great way of, you know, sort of letting people know that you are on Aboriginal land.
2: Now, Kirk, you've got something else exciting coming up, um, I believe, in the way of a, another podcast show for the Mail newspaper. Can you tell me a bit about that?
0: Yeah, so I'll be uh, sitting in the studio hosting with Naomi Morin, who's our general manager, and we're going to be talking about you know, the things that are you know, topical, cultural, things about you know, who we are. And, and where we are, uh, yeah, it's almost like, how would I describe it? When I think about it, even though it's not created yet, I feel like it's sort of some, you know, black pop culture. Uh, and, you know, what's happening and getting, digging a little bit deeper under those conversations and also being inspired by the news and what's coming up in the paper. So that program is coming up and yeah, it'll be, it'll be really, it'll be lots of fun and I'm looking forward to that.
2: Kirk Booglebear, thank you for joining me here in the Black Room. You can catch Kirk and Naomi Morin in their own podcast, The Black Yard, next week.
0: Since 1991, the Kurri Mail has been the voice of Indigenous Australia. As Australia's only national fortnightly publication, we are excited to celebrate our 30th birthday this year. For all the latest news and views, subscribe at koorimail.com.
2: Welcome back to The Black Room. I'm your host, Nick Payton. I've got here with me in the studio, Yamachi man and our deadly sports editor, Darren Moncrief. Darren, welcome to The Black Room. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. All right, so Darren, we are going through the sports section of the Kurrimai newspaper. We're in edition 756. Let us know what's been happening in the Olympics. heaps has been happening.
3: A lot of our the six, the record-making 16 indigenous athletes at these games. The yeah, highest yeah. amount uh, in Australian Olympic history.
2: That, do you know what? That's embarrassing. That's taken a long know, time for Australia to get to a point where this is the most amount of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that are represented yeah. there. It's great, but why has it taken it this long for us to get there? I guess opportunity. Um,
3: you can't be what you can't see a lot. So there wasn't a lot to see in the early mid years, you know, of the 19th, 1900s. That's very not true. That long ago. Very true. So like the late, the mid... The mid nineties, the mid nineties, early two thousands, when it started to pick up. Yeah. Kathy, Nova, Kyle, Patrick, Baden. Yeah. A couple of these athletes and it's really picked
2: up. I know I can see here on your back page, you have got the most beautiful photo of that statue of Nova Paris on there.
3: Yep. She became in 96, the first Aboriginal athlete to win a gold medal yep and that was with the team with the hockey ruse okay and is
2: that what this statue signifies that or just her being the amazing statue, sports person that she is the
3: statue nods to that but she won the medal in hockey but this statue is of her as an as a track and field athlete
2: it is a beautiful statue it is where is that
3: that's it's it's in it's in Melbourne right now yep And it's going to be there for a little while. And there's plans to relocate it to her
2: hometown in Darwin. Beautiful. Oi, I love how this edition, you've actually on page 54 of this edition in the sports section... Just, um, pointing back to that statue of Nova, you've actually got the photo of the statue on page 54. And next to that, you've actually got the photograph, which the statue yep. has been made of.
3: That's right. That looks deadly. Yeah, it was. It's based from the 2000 games.
2: Okay. Yeah. And then I can see down here, you've actually zoomed in on the bottom of the statue. What's happening there at the bottom that of the statue? That
3: important to do that because Nova talked more about the essence of this, statue is at her feet, not the actual running and that's just her origins, her identity, are what's at her feet.
2: So we're we talking about her country.
3: Basically. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was important. And we got some great photos from, um, the organizers and Getty images. Yep. Which we subscribe to. Yep. Um, so yeah, we hopefully captured it well and, and her chat with me, we had a chat about this story and she's very generous with her time and to talk about it.
2: So you actually, you spoke to Nova in person? Spoke to Nova,
3: yep. 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 Um, talked about it and she had some good insights. I was able to probe and talk to her about, you know, the essence of it all. Um, why is it great? Um, and what it means to her, I guess, and her mob. So
2: what did she, did you speak about what she thought about the amount of, Indigenous athletes heading over this year. She was pretty proud. I bet she,
3: her little cousin Brooke Paris is currently with the Hockeyroos. Yep. Hockeyroos, and the Hockeyroos did a training camp up in Darwin before the before heading off to Japan because the conditions in Darwin were very much similar to Tokyo. Yep. So they conditioned themselves by training at the heat of the day and in, you know, wet season Darwin. And, um, she invited the team, I saw some photos that they did a smoking ceremony yep. and, and the whole, the whole with Brooke there and Mariah, the, Ab- the other Aboriginal girl with the Hockey Roos and the other uh, entire team really embrace that sort of connection, that cultural invitation and generosity from Nova. So
2: now we know every edition we have a sports section with, which is jam packed with all things happening with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in sport. Mm. You also have a regular column. Darren, tell us a bit, tell our listeners a little bit about what they should expect to read in your column every fortnight.
3: Well, expect a hot take on (laughs) indigenous issues and I like to push the boundaries, I suppose, because you can't just sit back and be passive. If you don't stand for something, then sit down.
2: So Darren, look, we've had a massive now week in the Olympics and everything that Mob are involved there. What else has been happening in sport? Because you've got two other columnists that regularly contribute to the sports section. We've got the amazing Shelley Ware and we've got Dean Witters. What's happening this edition?
3: Yeah, um, Shelley and De- Dean, Dean uh, the former rugby league NRL player, um, he writes a lot about Rugby league. So he like, his column is on rugby league. Shelly's on Aussie rules. Um, Dino has been appointed coach of Parramatta Eels. First senior Aboriginal coach in that. And we broke that story a um, couple of editions yeah, ago. Yeah, that was a,
2: a, an addition ago, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
3: And and he, but he's talking about the uncertainty about the situation in New South Wales with the lockdown and what that means for the NRLW season, the girls training everything (laughs) so he's a little bit worried he he, he, yeah he has a good insight into the girls at at the current so he's sending training programs to them individually in isolation until such a time um shell she also talks about um keeping positive in difficult times with this current column um how footy can be like a i guess antidote to lockdown you know something to look at on tv and bring some joy. Yep. Yep.
2: I guess it's been hard for a lot of sports people to navigate their way through these murky waters of what we now know is coronavirus in terms of lockdowns, restrictions, lockouts, lock-ins, and you know, what's been happening in terms of sports people being able to get on the field. I mean, have they had to be vaccinated before they can play or... What, and especially with our Olympians, did they have to have a jab before they went overseas? They did. Yeah. Okay. But it's not mandated for Australian s-
3: sport. Right. So for various reasons. Um, It's not a hard and fast rule. Okay. Personally. Okay. Yep. Okay. Get jab, get the jab, protect yourself, protect others. But we have been able to have a full sp- football season, but with some, you know, lots of redesigning of their the seasons, the fixtures, the locations of games.
2: How lucky was that? I
3: know, hanging by a thread sometimes yeah, though.
2: because origin, you know, we've had game three now yep. and that almost wasn't going to go ahead.
3: Yeah, some players mucked around. Um, they had the women's origin as well, so that, yep. that was okay. Um, but but in rugby league, it's still on rugby league, the Aussies and Kiwis have pulled out of the World Cup mm. in, and we talk about that in England, but... Since we had this story in our paper, yep, there's a push to have an Indigenous All Stars and Marri All Stars teams in the World Cup to replace Australia and New Zealand. Okay, so that's still to play out. That's playing out as we speak. So we'll be looking into that in next edition for
2: sure. Be looking into that for sure. We need our sport. So if there's anything that's going to get us all back into where we want to be in our teams, mm. you know, traveling around Australia, if you need to, to, to go to your tournament, we've all got to get vaccinated.
3: That's it. Get the jab. Just get it done. We, uh, have a very vulnerable set of people in our population and demographic. A lot of, lots of our oldies have compromised health systems. So if you're healthy and you're able, do it, get it done.
2: That's some good advice. All you mob out there, if anyone's worried about it, get vaccinated. It's the best thing to do for you and for your mob and for your community. Hey, Darren Moncrief, our sports editor here at the Koorimao. Thanks for joining us in the Black Room. We will see you in a fortnight. See you then. The Koorimao employment section is filled with jobs for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people every edition and with more than 100,000 sets of eyes reading our newspaper every fortnight, the CurryMail is a great place to advertise. Visit kurimail.com. Well, there you have it. We have come to the end of our first Black Room podcast, Boogle Bear. Thank you for listening. My name is Nick Payton. See you next time.